I never got any money from you. Be normal. And now, Mr. Edwards, I would like to make a disclosure, which is something which has never been revealed to the public. This is The Saucer Life, exploring the history and lore of flying saucers. The Saucer Life is a podcast in which we examine concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking, plenty of ill-advised nostalgia. This is the ultimate deception. So, we've discussed this a little bit before, but in this episode, we're going to look at some key works of Commander X, the mysterious high-ranking officer who surfaced occasionally in the 1990s and then a lot more often, it seemed, after the year 2000, to divulge secret information through the various publishing outlets run by Timothy Green Beckley. Now, when I say we're going to look at some of the key works, what I mean is we're going to look at three Commander X books I actually own. They are The Ultimate Deception, Underground Alien Bases, and both of those came out in 1990, and the somewhat cleverly titled The Commander X-Files, which which is almost guaranteed to get people searching for X-Files to have that show up, which is great. Uh, that was a bit later, and the edition I have is uh, from later still in uh, 2017, and it has some additional material from the, uh, from the original edition. That is additional material in addition to what was in the original edition. Never before has the word edition been said in such close proximity to the word addition. Um, I'm not going to change it. These books are interesting for a number of reasons, one of which that we'll see as we ramble through them is that these books are a place, uh, a source for many people where they came across the notions and narratives that we here on the show um, first encountered in the nascent online world, the world of BBSs and Usenet groups. So what we have, as we'll see, are many of the core uh, the core stories that emerged in the late 80s and 1990s. We tend to think of those as uh, internet things or early internet things because they, they usually first appeared on those BBSs. That's where people like John Lear and Bill Cooper and Bill English and all of these types launched them uh, launched themselves and then from there into uh, into the real world generally through, if you're Bill Cooper, books you wrote, if you're most of the other guys through appearances at UFO conventions. But these books, these Commander X books in particular, are a way that these ideas crossed that, uh, crossed that barrier from the online world into the real world. And as we look at these, we'll touch on a number of um, my favorite tropes, and, and I know some of your favorite tropes as well, including the importance of typography in convincing people that what they're reading is important and possibly forbidden, uh, weird, obscure stuff being woven in with more banal flying saucer stuff, um, and the odd phenomenon of, of people who have learned secrets in the military being able to blab them to the entire world with absolutely no apparent consequences whatsoever, um, other than those that sounding a little cynical here, that they fabricate themselves to make themselves look credible. So this is going to be a casual ramble through the world of Commander X, and we'll also try to answer the eternal question, who was Commander X? Okay, it's really easy to find out uh, because it, it's it's pretty well known, um, at least 
who a big part of it was, but uh, we'll take, um, and it's on the front cover of the Commander X-Files updated, but we'll take a look at some of the conversations around those revelations and controversies that, uh, that emerged. Now, I will say that uh, in, the des- in the description of this episode, if I say things like, we'll also look at who Commander X might have been, I guarantee you somebody will pop up in the comments or send me a message saying, well, everybody knows it was, insert the name we'll be talking about later, which you're all probably saying out loud if you already know it. Um, I know it's not a secret. I'm just trying to build some suspense, right? Um, you can always tell the people who read the description and comment on the episode without listening to the episode. But I will say that doesn't happen very often. So that's good, at least. Anyway, on with Commander X. So let's start with the book this episode is named after, The Ultimate Deception. I've got the 1990 first printing special limited edition, which is very fancy. I, uh, I presume it was limited to the number of copies they thought they could sell, but it is, it is very, very cool. It's, um, it, it's, uh, it's a book cover. It's one of those book covers that is, uh, is largely, largely text. It's largely text, but it's red, white, and blue, which, you know, sort of gives it a, a patriotic air as long as you are in a country where the flag is red, white, and blue. But that's honestly quite a few of them. On the front cover, we have uh, The Ultimate Deception by Commander X. We've got an alien that looks kind of like the guys from the First Federation in the Star Trek episode, um, The Corbomite Maneuver, which always freaked me out as a kid. And it has in caps um, this sort of legend slash subtitle on the front cover. A shocking disclosure. The most sensational government conspiracy of our time is finally revealed to the world by a retired military officer. So that's, uh, that's, that's good stuff. And, and that's just on the front cover. The back cover copy is, uh, is extensive. And the back cover, if we can continue with the theater of the mind thing here, the back cover depicts a, um, a, a flying saucer sort of at the top at an angle. And it is very much a classic flying saucer. And then sort of superimposed is uh, in, in a font that looks like it's meant to be a rubber stamp. It says top secret sort of stamped over the top of the flying saucer. But in a, a small size of stamp so you can see that uh, it's a flying saucer so again this this idea of typography and design sort of giving us an idea of what we're seeing i mean it doesn't i mean i don't think anybody was really fooled that this was uh, that this was top secret info that was being released um i remember seeing this book when i was in high school it came out right when I was in high school. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I didn't see it, I saw ads for it in the Weekly World News, which of which I was, as you know, a, uh, a devotee and, uh, and connoisseur and aficionado and other sort of europe sounding words. Um, I didn't fall for it, but I wanted to, if that made sense. I, I sort of wanted to believe that there was secret information that I could get a hold of if only I could scrape together, what, 10 bucks to get this book. Um, the back cover text description is extensive. Let's, uh, let's listen. This book is dedicated to those few brave souls who have risked their very lives to leak the story of the century to a public that has long been kept in a state of blissful ignorance. 
The conspiracy leads right up to the front gate of the White House and behind the Kremlin walls and involves the cover-up of an above-top-secret agreement forged between the military and a group of aliens referred to as the EBEs, short for Extraterrestrial Biological Entities. As a part of this conspiracy, the government has literally sold out our citizens by extending to the EBEs the right to abduct thousands of humans and to plant monitoring devices in their brains in exchange for technical and scientific data. Initially, the authorities believed these short, gray-skinned humanoids were friendly, but soon learned that their avowed purpose was genetic duplication and the ultimate domination of our globe. To this extent, they have seized several highly classified underground laboratories, where they have proceeded to develop a form of crossbred superbeing. Our only hope for survival, says Commander X, is a second group of benevolent extraterrestrials commonly referred to as the Nordic types, who believe in the universal law of non-interference. These aliens have taken our side in a cosmic spiritual war that pits the forces of light and darkness against each other for the virtual minds and bodies of humankind, with the Earth and our sky being utilized as an actual background for the confrontation best known as the ultimate deception. That is the back cover text of this book. And it's not a huge book. It's not like a, you know, giant coil-bound notebook-sized thing. It's a sort of regular trade paperback sized. First off, here's an observation just from a a marketing perspective. That's pretty much the whole book right there on the back cover. Uh, You read this back cover and there's really no good reason to buy the book unless the goal is to sort of persuade people that um, (laughs) there's so much on the back cover that if they're giving this much away, just for free, if you're seeing it in the bookstore, then how much more vital information is between the covers here? The real truth might be inside. The second thing that I want to note, uh, again, because the the goofiest, weirdest things intrigue me, and this is a, a personal little um, thing that sticks in my craw quite a bit, the misuse of uh, quotation marks for either emphasis or sarcasm or other things. Um, the following words or phrases appeared in um, in sarcasm quotes, in scare quotes, whatever you want to call them, on this back cover. Um, the phrase blissful ignorance, the phrase above top secret, the phrase sold out, the phrase super being, the phrase Nordic types, the phrase non-interference, the phrase spiritual war, the phrase light and darkness, all of those appeared in um, inappropriate quotation marks. And, and yeah, I think that's probably the best way I'm, I'm going to, to refer to those from now on for the rest of my life. Not scare quotes, not sarcasm quotes, simply inappropriate quotation marks, inappropriate grammatically, inappropriate punctuarily, uh, inappropriate stylistically, inappropriate morally, ethically, spiritually, um, in every possible way. So that's the back cover. And um, every time every time I, I worry that the topic I've chosen for an episode is, is going to, you know, maybe run itself out in a minute and a half, I, uh, I come up with two minutes on quotation marks. So that's the, uh, that's the book. So what is the ultimate deception? So if we sort of 
let's pretend we didn't read the back cover and we jump right in on the first page of the text, page four of the book itself. Commander X doesn't waste any time telling us what the ultimate deception is. This secret, which can best be labeled the ultimate deception, involves the fact that visitors from outer space have not only set foot on this planet and exchanged scientific data with us, but have been maintaining bases here for many years. Several groups of aliens have actually established ongoing relationships with our leaders, and we have even sent representatives to other worlds and welcomed with open arms their representatives who continue to live here under our very noses under tight security. It all began in 1947 when a spaceship crashed near Roswell, New Mexico, and several members of the alien crew were killed in an unfortunate mishap. There is reason, however, to believe that the first pieces of an extraterrestrial craft actually fell into Hitler's hands when he captured a flying disc shortly before the start of World War II. Well, hey, that's something. Um, and again, I we get most of that from the back cover, except for the uh, except for the Roswell stuff. And Roswell by 1990 was something that that UFO people were aware of. Roswell was not um, was not sort of the uh, the the unknown thing that it was. Even even in the earlier 80s, even after that first Roswell um, Roswell book had come out. Uh, it, Ideas take time to catch on, and uh, crash saucers were sort of a uh, eye-rolling topic in the uh, in the sixties and seventies in a lot of ways. But by the eighties and nineties, people had uh, people had definitely jumped on to that thing. So he he's tying together some things. He's building on what was in the uh, what was in the the back cover, and also tying in the uh, the Roswell crash as well. So one thing we don't get in this first page and, and even in the, uh, the front matter, um, wait, there is no front matter. Uh, there's just a table of contents. We, we don't get, um, we, we don't get any indication of who commander X is at this point, or even who he's, even who he's claiming to be, which is, um, telling, I think we don't get much backstory for a while. We'll see that backstory in um, in the last book we're going to be looking at today, the Commander X Files. But um, there's some revelations here right from the very beginning. So, what could be the source of these revelations, listener? I think you're going to be shocked. Flying ace John Lear, son of the founder of the Lear Aircraft Company, who has personally won every FAA flying award ever granted, is among the very few who have managed to break through the stony wall of silence. Due to his backdoor connection with the CIA and other military branches for whom he has flown various missions, he has met key individuals who realize the full scope of what's going on. Lear has said, and this confirms information given to me personally by yet other sources, that there are actually several groups of interplanetary visitors coming to Earth. His Traveler's Guide to the Cosmos reads as follows. John Lear, surprise, surprise. If it is 1990 and somebody mentions UFOs, John Lear sort of appears out of, uh, out of the smoke, out of nowhere, and, uh, and with, a, with a list of aliens who are on Earth and, uh, and or have, have been to Earth at various times. There's, uh, there's three types of grays. Um, the first type is three and a half feet tall. Uh, they worship technology and, quote, don't give a damn about mankind. Second kind uh, has a different finger arrangement and slightly different face. And uh, they have more common sense, but they're passive. 
Uh, the third type is uh, is the same basic type. Lips are thinner, more subservient to the two other grades. There's uh, blondes, also known as Swedes or Nordics. I'm not sure if those are aliens or just people from Scandinavia. We've got uh, interdimensional entities that are peaceful. We've got hairy dwarves, four feet tall, 35 pounds, extremely strong, hairy. They're neutral, and they don't try to hurt intelligent life. There is the, quote, very tall race. Um, look like humans, but they're seven or eight feet tall. Um, there's uh, humans appearing similar to blondes uh, that have been seen with grays. There are drones created by grays. Uh, there are men in black. Wear all black, sunglasses, very pale skin. Do not conform to normally accepted patterns. Extremely sensitive to light. Maybe holographic image. Okay, so what we have here is some grays and then some contacty space for other blonde types. A hairy dwarf from um, the Lorenzen's Book of Humanoids back in the day. And men in black as aliens because... Why not? So basically, it sounds like Commander X and or John Lear have read some other UFO books in their time. There's nothing about this that that necessarily had to come from a top secret military or intelligence background, which I know I, I'm not sure why. I mean, I know how this sounds and I'm not sure I'm, I'm necessarily trying to, you know, seriously argue with the notion that you know let me explain why i'm not sure commander x really had insider knowledge of these things um, because it's commander x from the book advertised in the weekly world news i mean i think that's you know it's we, we don't need a we don't need to expend a lot of energy disproving um the fact that this might be leaked military information but what's more interesting to me is trying to to identify the sources of where these things might have come from in in sources that were, were out there in the the common ufo and conspiracy cultures of the time and then as the book goes on uh, in the next page or two we, we get we get next chapter or two rather we get a little more about john lear I, i'm i'm as surprised as you one can't help but be impressed with the name John Lear. After all, his father, William, was the famous aviation pioneer who built the Lear Aircraft Company, which today holds down many defense contracts and employs thousands. Lear, the son, is also highly regarded in aviation circles, having flown a variety of over 150 test aircraft and having won every award granted by the Federal Aviation Administration. Until two or three years ago, John Lear had little or no interest in UFOs. Then he chanced to talk to a friend who had been stationed in England when a UFO touched down at a military complex there and was seen by U.S. servicemen on duty, small creatures and all. Intrigued, Lear began asking around and found some of his former associates in the CIA willing to confirm that government leaders knew a great deal more about UFOs and space aliens than the public was being led on. Lear discovered to his utter amazement that the U.S. military actually possessed craft from outer space. Some of the vehicles were even in partial working order. Apparently, the Americans had initially gotten their hands on these extraterrestrial disc-shaped devices as far back as the late 1940s. Now, I know what I find impressive about people when I meet them is what their fathers have accomplished. Not that Lear's own accomplishments and achievements or anything to sneeze at, it's just that I think that every time... John Lear has been discussed on the internet, and certainly back in the day when this was all new. The fact that his father was Bill Lear, creator of the Lear Jet, was brought up. 
I don't know how that necessarily makes John Lear, um, even in the eyes of Commander X, who I'm sure is a fabulous judge of character, how that makes him more credible. In fact, that question of Lear's credibility does come up. According to friend and foe alike, John Lear wears a variety of masks. Sometimes what he has to say seems to lack credibility, but just when you think you've caught him with his jumpsuit down, evidence pops up that what he has to say might not be so totally off the wall. For example, others with military connections have recently come forward to verify part of his amazing saga, so perhaps it's best to let Lear give his own account of the very bewildering situation that threatens to pit Earth against alien invaders. Now, here we get into one of the biggest dilemmas for some aspects of ufology in the 1990s. This idea of, um, how did they put it, um, others with military connections who show up and corroborate John Lear's story. Or corroborate the stories of other military connected people um, who are talking about these things. We could, you know, list off, you know, several um two named bill bill cooper and bill english and it becomes a game of sort of chicken and the egg kind of who uh, who's corroborating whose story when they all sort of claim to be the first ones to have been on the scene or whose experiences predate um predate everybody else it's kind of like the contactees each sort of claiming to sort of leapfrog backwards to the point where well i had my experience in 1920 so i i was the first contactee and things like that in the absence of actual documentation um and in the presence of so-called documentation that was merely just the same thing they were saying just written down there's really no way that any of these supposed military insiders or whistleblowers or people who had been on the intelligence briefing staff of the admiral of the pacific fleet there's no way that that any of that's actual corroboration it's um it's it's coincidentally or not coincidentally in a lot of cases just similar stories Now, a lot of the rest of the material in the book is similar to a lot of things that we've covered on the show, just like the John Lear stuff. There's the pretty much the entire saga of the the Dulce underground base in New Mexico, including the battle where uh, American service members took on their alien overlords in that underground base. There is um, quite a bit of stuff about contactees but uh, in a way to sort of set the contactees or rather set the space brothers up as the uh, the blonde nice aliens who are who are helping us in our fight against the grays so it's it's not quite contacteeism it's more you know these are the people who are the good guys who are on our side and and you know coincidentally they not just they do not just look like us they look like idealized uh, idealized humans there's also, in the midst of so many examples of the uh, the sort of darker side of the UFO mythos during the late 80s and, and early 90s, we also sort of jump into not just, you know, blonde contactee space brother types as being part of this overall context, but Commander X uh, brings us 
all the way back around to to one of the goofiest, and, and I, I mean that in a loving way, one of the goofiest stories around, and that's Frank Strangis and Valiant Thor and the, and the Stranger at the Pentagon. There's there's a chapter and a half or so uh, dedicated to uh, Frank Strangis's ideas, some of which we didn't cover um, on our uh, our shows about Frank Strangis. One of which, in particular, that uh, I, I first heard not too long ago in an old interview with Dr. Strangis on the uh, the Jeff Renz show back before or back when that was more of a competitor to Art Bell and, and less of a uh, whatever it became after about 2001. And that has to do with uh, Senator, former Attorney General, Robert F. Kennedy. Even though he never got to be president, Robert Kennedy had great leadership abilities. Sometime before he was shot down in a Los Angeles hotel, Bobby expressed a definite interest in UFOs. In a personal letter to publisher Gray Barker, Kennedy noted that he was a card-carrying member of the Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America, and indicated that he accepted the stories of those who said they had encountered aliens from other planets. Kennedy wrote, Like many other people in our country, I am interested in the UFO phenomenon. I watch with great interest all reports of unidentified flying objects, and I hope someday we will know more about this intriguing subject. I favor more research regarding this matter, and I hope that once and for all we can determine the true facts about flying saucers." While it is certainly difficult to prove, there are those who theorize that Robert Kennedy might have been killed because he was too new age, and because he had expressed an intense interest, not only in UFOs, but in many matters that would bring about great social change on our planet. As a footnote, it should be brought out that Kennedy's assassin had ample knowledge of the negative aspects of psychic patterns, and later, while in jail, he stated that he did not remember shooting Kennedy, but that he might have been hypnotized by someone into committing the foul deed. Not only was Senator Kennedy very interested in the UFO subject, he sought the guidance of one of the UFO world's most daring, brilliant, and fascinating minds. Okay, he didn't. It was Dr. Frank Strange's and Val Thor. Furthermore, on the subject of Robert Kennedy, we have Dr. Strange's solemn word that Bobby met toward the end of his final days with the space brother known as Val Thor. According to Strange's testimony, Kennedy once showed up at his Van Nuys home shortly after the dinner hour, insisting upon having Strange's set up a conference between him and Val Thor. I told Kennedy I could not do that, that Val met with whom he wished to meet with, but I did recommend that Kennedy go into the next room and type out any questions he might have of Val Thor, and promised that I would personally deliver Kennedy's message to my alien friend. Later, Val stated that he had gotten together with Mr. Kennedy, and that Robert had wanted to know what his chances were of becoming president. To this question, Val replied, Mr. Kennedy, four years from now you would stand an excellent chance of winning, but I beg you to remain far away from the political race this year. History tells us that Kennedy did not heed Val Thor's advice, and ended up perishing at the hands of a madman whose devotion was to the dark side of the force. Actually, Kennedy staying out of the race in 68 um, is a really, really fun what-if, because without that, we might have gotten Gene McCarthy as the Democratic nominee. And uh, if we'd gotten Gene McCarthy as the Democratic nominee rather than Hubert Humphrey, do we have the chaos in Chicago in 68 at the Democratic convention? 
And do we have Nixon winning in 68? Because that was a narrow race, um, even against Hubert Humphrey. Um, And then if we do have McCarthy win in 68, assuming he runs for re-election in 72, when Val Thor says that Kennedy should run, do we have Kennedy challenging a, let's assume, relatively successful Democratic president in the primary? Does he try to primary the president? Um, or, or is Val Thor saying that, you know, Nixon would win in 68 and or whoever the Republican nominee would have been? And then, um, you know, that doesn't work out. And then Kennedy comes back and, uh, and, and wins in 72. That's a, that's a huge question that has very little to do with flying saucers. But sometimes um, flying saucers aren't the most interesting thing one could possibly talk about. Okay, moving on briefly to um, Underground Alien Bases by Commander X, which was also published in 1990, but after, uh, after Ultimate Deception, because at the end it says, also by Commander X, Ultimate Deception. Um, this, is, this is a book that I think we've mentioned, um, at, at least mentioned, uh, maybe not extensively, but I think we did talk about it in our 2018 episode on uh, what the episode we called The Hollowed Earth, which was about underground bases. Um, so we did talk about it a bit there. There's an ad uh, for this book from the fall 1990 issue of Caveat Emptor, uh, the zine published by Gene Steinberg. And there's some fun stuff in there. And if you're familiar with any of the ads that um, Inner Light Publications, Abelard uh, Publications, um, Global Communications, any of the, the Timothy Green Beckley publishing houses, the ads that would run very text heavy and with a lot of really fun stuff like this from information supplied by commander x and other government sources we are told that cities actually exist beneath the earth's outer crust and they can be reached by entering and exiting through concealed openings in various locations most shaft ways to these inner earth cities can be found in remote areas while others are in more populated areas there are even openings in new york city toronto los angeles chicago and other major cities These underground communities can be reached through abandoned basements and elevator shafts that only very few know about for obvious security reasons. And this. Though this story belongs on the 6 o'clock news, none of the major networks or cable channels have been allowed to print the truth about the most important findings of our time. Findings that will each have a tremendous impact on the lives of every one of us. Millions of individuals worldwide have reported not only observing strange objects in the sky, but more and more we hear of bizarre first-hand experiences involving close encounters with alien beings right out of the pages of a science fiction novel. Those who have had such an experience and have been brave enough to come forward often possess remarkable photographic evidence or have agreed to take lie detector tests, which they have passed with flying colors. For over 45 years, an attempt has been made to keep the public in ignorance about the UFO phenomenon. A virtual wall of silence has been erected that is thicker and harder to penetrate than the one that stood between East and West Germany for decades. Though the most popular belief is that UFOs originate from another planet, probably from outside the solar system, the truth is absolutely more sinister and shocking than anyone in the scientific or academic community could ever believe. Even veteran UFO researchers seem paralyzed at the statements made by a retired military intelligence officer known only as... Commander X.
The book itself, uh, we're not going to go into too much depth on it um, because we do need to move along to the Commander X-Files updated and solving the mystery of Commander X, of course. And we've done a lot of Hollow Earth stuff um, in the in the past few years. But what I like about this book, and I think what's, what's most fascinating about Underground Alien Bases, is that it's not just a book about Dulcie. It's not just a book about alien greys, and in their genetics lab down in the basement in New Mexico or in the, the sub basement in New Mexico, it brings in a lot of other stuff. It brings in the um, hollow earth idea. Uh, these aren't, these underground bases are not necessarily all artificial. Some of them are natural. Um, Commander X is able to connect this to Atlantis and to, uh, and to Mu the uh, lost continent of Mew talks about the Dero and the Richard Shaver stuff talks about the more new agey things uh, like um, Mount Shasta being, uh, being one of the, the on earth bases for the, the ships of the space brothers. And, and I think Ashtar even enters into this or at least Ashtar command at one point or another. Um, it does reiterate a bit, uh, quite a bit actually of what we saw in, uh, in the ultimate deception. And one sort of gets the impression that that you know, the publishers wanted to make sure that uh, that they got this information out there, whether or not people bought uh, one book or both books. So there, there's a little bit of overlap, and really in a lot of the Commander X stuff I've seen, including the one we're going to look at after our our little intermission here, um, the Commander X files updated. There's uh, there's a lot of repetition, and we'll take a look at that in just a minute next time um i'm not sure i've got a few ideas i didn't have when i originally planned things out um i mean i've got a few ideas now that i didn't have when i originally planned things out and i've been inspired by the world of commander x and also the the 2020 saucer life christmas special is uh, or holiday special rather since it's uh, all the way on on the 21st more of a general holiday season thing december 21st um that's going to have uh, uh basically i'm thinking um today or this episode the next episode and then the the holiday special it's it's going to be kind of 90s focused 90s and early 21st century internet culture focused and i know that's not everybody's bag but the episodes that uh that that feature those topics tend to get um tend to get a lot more attention not a lot more attention but but nearly as much attention and in some cases more than in some of the uh, the other topics so um that's what we're going to be finishing out uh, 2020 with unless i change my mind so uh, we'll see uh, we'll see how that goes you can check out past episodes and read some reviews of saucer-related stuff. Support the show at saucerlife.com. You can also support us through the link in the show notes. Uh, thanks very much to those who've donated in the past. It's uh, it's how I uh, it's how I bought my copies of my Commander X books, or at least uh, the Commander X Files updated. That was a uh, that was a a listener-funded purchase. We're on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Saucer Life, or you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. You can contact us by post at Chizo Media, P.O. Box 68, Grand Blanc, Michigan, 48480. The Saucer Life is available anywhere you can find podcasts. And now, uh, let's finish up Commander X. Looking at the time, uh, it occurs to me that 
we put the uh, the intermission a bit later than usual. So this episode might be a little lopsided. So if you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to go on for an hour and 20 minutes, don't, don't worry. It's not. So the Commander X-Files, it first came out, I looked this up um, since the beginning of recording uh, this episode, first came out in 1996. So the the sort of X-Files phrasing in the middle of that is is definitely sort of an early example of, of um, search engine optimization or or um, whatever they call it. Uh, and uh, the the updated version that I have is from 2017. And that's, that's the one that I have. So if you have the 1996 version and you notice something in, in one of the uh, the excerpts that's not uh, quite what you have that's why this version has a flash on the cover stating stating identifying the real commander x alien hunter um, and i'll admit when i saw the phrase alien hunter the first thing i thought was daryl sims if you remember daryl sims who worked with dr roger lear in not John Lear, Dr. Roger Lear in, um, in sort of uh, alien abduction and implant cases. He, he called himself the alien hunter, which I, I thought was, was silly, but uh, it was okay. I didn't, I didn't dislike it. The author is listed on the cover as Commander X, as told to Jim Keith. Now, we've talked about Jim Keith on this show uh, quite a few times. Um, he was, uh, he was a, a significant part of our episode on Alternative 3. He was um, a significant part of our um, several of our, our Read These Books episodes, especially when we discussed his book, um, Saucers of the Illuminati, which is a classic. Uh, Keith did a couple of books on the men in black or one book on the men in black as well, but he wasn't really a saucer guy. He was, he was more of a, a conspiracy uh, and parapolitics guy, but uh, those worlds sort of connect very, uh, very well with the UFO world as, as we've seen. We'll talk more about what the book reveals about authorship as we go. Um, and sort of the, the larger question of, of Jim Keith's work with Commander X, which really kind of means in a lot of people's minds, Jim Keith was Commander X. And we'll talk about that as well, because I, I think that is a big part of the story, but it's not the, it's not the entire story. Um, what's really cool about this book is that it's, it's not just going over honestly a lot of the stuff that was in the ultimate deception, a lot of the stuff that was in underground alien bases. It also has a, a, a sort of sense of being a thriller and memoir of our mythical commander X as he is, uh, is on the run evading, uh, evading the, uh, the authorities of the, the alien world order and trying to get the truth out and what he learns along the way. Uh, not, of course, that we see his, his ultimate origin story. We don't get it from from birth through his rise through the ranks and, you know, his his decision to to go rogue. Because honestly, that would probably provide too many clues as to his real identity, and uh, he can't have that because he, you know, he needs to uh, to stay needs to stay safe. Still, it's exciting. It began with my worst nightmare, and then became worse still was reading some foreign intelligence agency oriented documents in my study on the afternoon of august 7th 1995 when the phone rang i picked up the receiver and said lawson business associates the fake business name that i'd been using for just over two years eric came the answer from the person on the end of the line 
and that was when I knew the game was up. I recognized the voice as that of one of my oldest friends, a veteran American intelligence operative who works within a little nest of spooks even the director of the secret government doesn't know the name of. I'll call the man G. I've known G for over 20 years, and I know him well enough to realize that he would never would have used my real name under any circumstances, not even my first name, if it wasn't now common knowledge among certain parties. Parties that were, shall we say, unfriendly to me. Wow. Very exciting. Now, he does mention in a footnote that Eric was not his real name, and uh, it's no more his real name than Lawson Business Associates was a real business. So, what does G have to say? Thank God I was able to get a hold of you, Eric. Your cover's blown and you don't have much time to get out of there. Unless you want to do a replay of the Alamo with you as Davy Crockett, then you'd better run like hell. There's probably a wet assignment team coming to visit you right now. Wet work was one of the colorful terms applied in the spy business to mean assassination. G needn't have even said that much, since we both knew there could be only one reason for him to call me at home, and only one reason why he would use my real name. I muttered an expletive I won't repeat, and then another one, and then I got a grip of myself. Thanks, I owe you one. I mean, another one, I said. I can't decide whether this is so bad it's good, or if it's just bad, and I kind of want the entire book to be this, but I'm also very understanding about the fact that it wasn't. So he takes off and, and you know has adventures and things, and we'll touch on that a little more as we go. So, you know, it, it's it's very cliched action movie, you know, you know, old spy who who has secrets has been found out even though he's been in hiding and trying to, to you know live the straight life and you know you know come clean about stuff and, and do the right thing and yeah we've all seen numerous bad straight to video movies like this straight to video isn't really a thing anymore straight to streaming straight to streaming movies like this we've all seen these straight to whatever the generic version of Redbox is at uh, your local grocery store. That's the level of, of drama and thriller we have here. So the Commander X-Files really does retread a lot of the material in both The Ultimate Deception and Underground Alien Bases. But there's also, kind of obviously, now that we know that uh, this had the input of Jim Keith, a lot of overlap with books that Jim Keith was writing during the mid-1990s. Keith's influence on The Good Commander is, I think, especially felt in the fact that there's a chapter on Alternative 3, which, as we know, Keith published a book on, and and perhaps the definitive book, um, aside from the actual book Alternative 3. And Keith's book came out in 1994, just a couple years before the original edition of The Commander X-Files. Interestingly, in the chapter on Alternative 3, which is called I'm not making this up. No alternative, which I think is the name of the episode we did on Alternative 3. Total coincidence. In the chapter, Commander X does not discuss the British television presentation and subsequent Alternative 3 book at all. All this information is presented as stuff that the commander received through his usual channels of intelligence. And he does this through reprinting memos he received via his sources. And as far as I can tell, and with what checking I did, much of this, if not all of it, is is pretty much new material. It's, it's not sort of appropriated from the Leslie Watkins Alternative 3 book or the television show. It's, 
it's from the world inspired by Alternative 3. It's Alternative 3 fanfic, if you will. April 6, 1972, National Chief Executive Department 5, memo to all departments. Departments 1, 2, and 3 have reported that with the current interest in various forms of occultism and a movement away from the more traditional lifestyles of society, it should now be considered that we target occult-minded people who actively engage in desocialization in their peer groups and mystical teachings. These persons are particularly susceptible to any sort of story which will be concocted by departments manufacturing propaganda and should provide a rich source of components for projects. A shadowy organization using the trappings of UFOs, the occult, um, things like that as a way to further their agenda uh, is not entirely out of line with some of the things Keith wrote about in Saucers of the Illuminati, unsurprisingly. Uh, the memo continues later on. Department 4 has agreed and studied the matter and will produce an array of appropriate electronic effects for further convincing the populace and particularly the members of these occultist groups of the truth of their beliefs. This can be done starting on an individual basis using the same technology which has been utilized for this purpose in the past. Another means of convincing select parties would be through the use of electronic broadcasts putting appropriate words and messages in their heads. Department 4 has also advised that Department 2 create a plan by which extraterrestrials have come to Earth to save these people. So that's just a small sample of one of the, the sort of memos that were concocted for this, but there's a lot in there. There's some things that we can see maybe come out of um, Project Blue Beam. I can't remember if we've talked about Blue Beam on the show, but there's a Canadian researcher named Serge Monast who um, came up with this, this idea or this, this theory or this this fear, really, that governments would use holographic technology to um, create images that were so realistic they could be used to manipulate public opinion. And two examples that, that have usually come up in connection with Project Bluebeam are an alien visitation, sort of a, a global alien manifestation, or the second coming of Jesus Christ. So here, Commander X slash Keith is sort of talking about that. It's also talking about the idea of of broadcasts that can be used to control people's minds. And around this same time in, in 1996 or so, when this was being written, Keith was also doing a lot of work um, delving into the question of mind control, government mind control projects, um, not just the MK ultra stuff, but things that have continued um, or possibly continued afterwards. So in assisting Commander X with the writing of these uh, of these books, Keith is also able to um, spread some. We'll use the word memes. Spread some of the memes, the uh, the parapolitical and conspiratorial memes that he'd been working on in his own uh, in his own books to get those ideas out via another means. And one of the things about the Commander X books, both the early ones and and this this slightly later one, is that is that it's almost like reading a Jim Keith book with all of the caveats and all of the, um, all of the actual research and evidence and, um, and, and reasoning removed. It's, it's almost like, um, it's almost like Jim Keith's sort of conspiratorial id sort of being able to be there on the page. That is, that is, you know, in the sense that he assisted the mysterious commander X 
with writing these things. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in just a second. There's one last thing, um, a couple last things to uh, look at here in the Commander X files. Uh, one of the things that happens is that Commander X gets abducted by aliens and um, in uh, undergoing treatment and regression hypnosis with the help of Professor C, they're big on uh, consonants here, Commander X is able to access the alien's database known as the matrix which is is probably not it's not it's too early to be a reference to the movies it's probably a sly reference to the uh the the massive matrix books that were uh composed and compiled by john grace writing as val valerian there in the 1990s so using this information from the alien matrix commander x learns more about the shocking plans for humanity and finds that actually there there is um we're all startled by this duplicity within the UFO research community. The key to the secret government gray scheme is the alternative three plan. And from the information that I was able to access, this project is on the fast track and scheduled to be in full operation by the beginning of the next century. I continued to search through the matrix, hoping against hope I would find an Achilles heel of the reptilian races. Initially, one of the most interesting areas I got into was a quick security check on some of the people who were involved in UFO research just so I would know who I was dealing with and who was playing both sides of the field in this deadly game. What I found out didn't make me happy. Although the files in the databank made it clear that most of the UFO researchers who were controlled didn't know that they were, the horrible truth was that many of them were in fact controlled by the aliens or their collaborators. Many of the most famous people doing research into UFOs and extraterrestrial races today, it turns out, have been specifically targeted by the gray aliens and their allied forces. Several of these researchers have been implanted and are run almost like robots according to the purpose of the aliens. Although I cannot mention any names specifically, these allegations would be denied anyway, what I can say is that I have confirmed that many UFO researchers are not truly on the side they claim to be on, the human side, but in fact are control subjects engaged in disinformation. This is particularly true of the high-profile UFO researchers who have been previously employed by the intelligence agencies ultimately under secret government control. So once again, we have a, a section from this book that is that ties in in many ways to things that were really being said and discussed in the UFO research community. In 1989, going to have an episode on this at some point, UFO researcher Bill Moore uh, revealed that he had been cooperating to some degree with, uh, with intelligence, uh, intelligence agencies. At the same time, you have Bill Cooper, who was accusing just about every UFO researcher of working not for the aliens, but for the secret government, um, uh, the New World Order, if you will. And a lot of times, just like Commander X does here, he traces that back to um, to their the, the individual researchers' work in military intelligence or you know other areas of the intelligence establishment. So after Jim Keith's death in. 1999, uh, there was a post that went up online by Robert Sterling of the Conformist website, and the title was, Was Jim Keith Commander X? Jim Keith's Big Secret. And this is what Sterling said. Now that Jim Keith has passed away, one of his secrets can be revealed. Jim Keith was Commander X. 
Well, not completely. Commander X, the author of a group of spooky books dealing with subjects ranging from Tesla-free energy, the Philadelphia Experiment, and alien overlords who rule our society, was actually a pen name for various authors. Keith was one of them. Timothy Beckley is another. The irony, of course, is that in one of his last articles, Keith claims that David Icke's new book was, quote, a classic at that odd edge of literature inhabited by people like Bill Cooper, Commander X, Al Bielik, George Andrews, and a flock of others, folks who have a decided talent for making money, but have to ask others to tie their shoes for them. In any case, now may be a good time to read some of the entertaining works of Commander X again, or for a first time if you haven't already. Many in the conspiracy field have long believed Commander X was some sort of fascist Nazi propaganda where good light-skinned aliens battle evil large-nosed alien monsters. When looking at the work as satire rather than disinformation, however, Commander X is quite a hoot. Shortly afterward, Timothy Green Beckley, publisher of the Commander X books, commented in response that Jim Keith was not Commander X. Quote, despite the rumors that have been circulating, Jim Keith was not Commander X. It is true, Jim assisted Commander X in the research and writing of several of his popular books. Other writers, including myself, have also helped Commander X in the past. That, however, does not make any of them Commander X, who is still alive and actively writing. End quote. Tim Swartz, who also worked uh, with works still with um, with Timothy Beckley, also commented that uh, that he was one of the people who also has has helped uh, edit the Commander X books. That he'd been in contact with Commander X briefly. He knows that Commander X is alive and still writing. So, what does then Tim Beckley reveal? In, uh, in this updated version of the Commander X-Files. There's a preface to the book uh, entitled uh, by Beckley entitled, Will the Real Commander X Please Stand Up? Quote, I'm going to tell you something I have never revealed to anyone else before. Some of the books by Commander X were not written in their entirety by him. He had help. End quote. Now, what's funny is Beckley basically admitted this in... 1999 when he was refuting the idea that Jim Keith was Commander X and you know he isn't and, and then he goes on to explain that that Keith and others including him had you know helped Commander X finish manuscripts uh, edit manuscripts because they were on tight deadlines and so you know Commander X is a retired military intelligence guy he's not a professional writer so you know it's his stuff needed some some help some massaging so Keith was one of these people. And the rest of the uh, the, the introduction is a, a very nice sort of summary of Keith's work. There's some comments from uh, Ken Thomas, one of Keith's collaborators in the book, The Octopus, about the, uh, the, the suicide, uh, the supposed suicide of uh, researcher Danny Casolaro, which has nothing to do with UFOs, but I heavily recommend it. Um, it's, it's a nice little thing because, because, Beckley is able to sort of acknowledge Keith's contributions to um, to the 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 work uh, the work that his company had uh, had had promoted and and, and frankly profited from um, while still sort of maintaining this mythos that Commander X still exists because Commander X is still publishing books. Commander X must be like. 104 years old at this point. If he was a, a three-star general in 1990, you usually don't get to, to three-star. Well, was he a three-star general? I can't remember. I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, 
he was high up anyway uh, in 1990, which was you know, 30 years ago. So yeah, yeah, Commander X might be getting pretty old. And of, of course, this idea that Commander X was revealing information that nobody ever, ever could have um, could have known is just sort of silly because most of this material did come from statements and, and speculation on the internet. Sometimes, uh, sometimes word for word, sometimes, you know, whole sort of excerpting with usually with, with recognizing the source of, um, of these materials that were online. Uh, you're reprinting John Lear's stuff that went to, to bulletin board systems without, you know, additional, often without additional, additional material, like interviews, exclusive interviews, new interviews with John Lear and other people. So, in sum, what should we think about Commander X? This stuff is very much of its time. It's very much material from a world before these uh, these theories and ideas were were as current as they are now. And now they're almost they're almost cliched and and old fashioned. But like I said at the beginning of the episode, these Commander X books were a way that these stories crossed the uh, crossed the the dividing line the sort of membrane separating the the nascent online world with the uh, the, the real physical ink and paper world that that honestly most people uh, exist existed in exclusively at the time the books are fun the books are exciting um, the commander X files especially is is just a delicious kind of goofy I highly encourage you to check them out. Even if you know the stories and the myths, it's so interesting to see the way that the Commander X books sort of take them from being, take these ideas and narratives from being separate things posted in different files and different parts of conversations or, or presentations at conferences and weaves them into, uh, weaves them into a story. It's, uh, if I was way more up on my, my postmodern, uh, postmodern theory things, I would, um, use words like bricolage and, and or whatever the word is, sort of putting things together here and there. I almost a decoupage, but that's like gluing stuff to a dresser, right? Um, I'm not an arty guy, and I don't know any French. So um, that's Commander X, and uh, I've always had a soft spot for Commander X, and I was very happy to uh, you know have the idea to do a Commander X episode. So that's Commander X. Go buy some. Thanks for listening. The associate producer of The Saucer Life is Simpson J. Hanover III. The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media LLC. Chizo Media, working for the good of mankind, along the lines that have been laid down for us by Commander X, who is our superior officer. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you.